So welcome again to Cornerstone. It is exciting to see the walls of our church going up, isn't it? They are pretty big. I was quite surprised at how high that wall was the other night when I pulled up at our music practice and I thought that's only the side and then the roof goes on and it goes higher than that and it's going to be massive. It's great. Yeah, so they, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt and I'm an elder here. I'm a director of worship ministries here at Cornerstone as well. And this morning I get the privilege of continuing our series that we've been doing on cherishing. And we've been talking about the fact that cherishing is a, is a vital part of, of the marriage relationship and that it's an extension to, to love. Um, last week with, with Neil we read um, the, the passage in Ezekiel that talks about the way that God cherished the nation of Israel and how Israel was described as this abandoned baby left in a field that no one wanted and how God raised and loved and built it up and, and then eventually made a covenant with Israel. It was described as a marriage. That was the example that was used and it took the nation of Israel from a place of abandonment to a place of adoration. It talked about Israel being queen, God taking them from a place of abandonment to a place of royalty and that's exactly what cherishing does. We looked at how in a marriage relationship that we are, we are called to do the same thing, to, to cherish our spouse, to build our spouse up, to protect and to value them, to essentially treat our spouses like royalty. And if you missed the message last week, I really encourage you to get on the website and have a look. It's there for listening to in the, in the podcast area. And so this morning we're going to continue this, this subject of, of cherishing. As I mentioned before, I'm an elder and, and I'm the director of worship ministries here at Cornerstone, but I'm also an ICT manager at NT Christian Schools and I enjoy fishing. I love catching barra, especially this time of year when they have million-dollar tags in them. Unfortunately, those barra are not aware that I'm especially fond of them and uh, I haven't caught any yet. But more importantly to me, I have the privilege of being married to my wife. That's right, I'm married to my wife, Alison. <laughs> And uh, I have three amazing children. I have Zeke, who or Zeke who is eight, uh, Abby May, who is five, nearly six in a couple of weeks, and um, Tobias, who is one and a half. And I'm here this morning feeling significantly challenged, challenged by what Neil brought us last week, but also challenged by what God has put on my heart to bring this morning. Firstly, I was challenged last week by Neil when he, when he said something, and it was a bit of a passing comment but I really believe that God's wanting us to hear more about it this morning. And it was the challenge that Neil threw out that, that he is determined as our pastor for us as a church to grow in love. And not only that we would grow in love, but that we would be a church that loved, a community that loved, that the world would see us as a community that loves and what that community looks like. You know, Jesus gave us a new commandment in John 13, 34 that says, love one another. And last week, Neil also talked about the fact that the world is this, is this broken place that we're a part of and it's becoming more and more broken the further we go in in time and the closer we get to the return of Jesus. And so we are in this world that is full of brokenness, broken hearts, broken values, broken families, broken esteem broken identity. And so I found myself asking two questions. I found myself asking, what am I doing to show God's love to the brokenness that is around me? 
And then the second part of that question was, am I actually contributing to that brokenness? And I really want to challenge us all with those two questions this morning. What are we doing to shine God's love onto the brokenness that is around us? And are we actually contributing in some way to the brokenness that is around us? And for me, I found myself wondering, are there things that I'm doing as a, as a husband, as a father, as the other things that I do for work, as a member of this church family, or perhaps even when I'm out fishing, are there things that I'm adding to the brokenness that's around me or failing to show the love that God is calling us to show to those around us? Jesus is calling us to love. Love is a commitment and it's a choice. And as we saw last week, cherishing is an extension to that love. So I want to throw out the challenge to all of us again this morning. Let's be determined to be a church that grows in the area of love. We have an opportunity as Cornerstone Christian Fellowship to show the community around us, to show Howard Springs, Palmerston, Humpty Doo, Darwin, even further afield what a community that loves looks like and what Jesus' salvation is all about. What an opportunity. And I'm not saying that we're, we're not already doing that because we've already heard this morning about the mission trips to, to uh, where'd you go? <laughs> India, Timor. It was the Timor one, I couldn't remember. Um, yeah, but the challenge is there. We, we don't need to go overseas to show that love. So let's make the most of every opportunity. Can you agree to do that with me this morning and, and move forward from here? So you know, it's great that we're doing what we're doing, but let's, we can do it better. You know, we can be an effective community that loves and we need to constantly remind ourselves of, of who we are, our identity in God, and from that place we can love. And, uh, you know, to really love others, we need to really understand how we are loved and how we are actually cherished by God. And so I want to take a little bit of time this morning just to, to refocus and think about how God views us. And, and to do that, we can get an idea of how he views us and, and how he views, uh, by how he views others in the Bible. And so Hebrews 11, the faith chapter I'm not actually going to read it. I'm just going to grab a few bits out of there. But Hebrews 11 talks about the faith that different characters had throughout the Bible story. And we can see through that how God viewed them. So the first one I want to pick on is Noah. Do we all know who Noah was? Yeah, what did he do? Built the ark. Also came to the realisation that he's almost like the world's first IT technician. He successfully turned the world off and on again, <laughs> with some help from God, of course. But so Noah, we know that what he did, he built, he built the ark. Um, he he essentially brought all the animals in and he rebooted creation. But Noah also once drank himself so silly that he passed out naked in his tent. And then, in the process of recovering from the embarrassment of that, he cursed one of his grandsons. And yet, God declares that Noah received righteousness that comes by faith. Sarah, Abraham's wife, laughed when she was told by God and one of his messengers that she was going to have a baby in her old age. She laughed at the thought of the seemingly impossible task that God was declaring over her life. 
but did God remember the laugh? Did he hold a grudge? No, it says that her faith was remembered, and from her, Abraham and her created an entire nation. And then there was Rahab, the prostitute, in the city of Jericho, who is commended for hiding two Israelite spies who had crossed over the Jordan from the desert and were scouting out to see how they could overthrow this city, how they could take the Israelites from the desert into the promised land. So Rahab was commended by God for hiding the two spies rather than condemned, as probably all of us would, for being a prostitute. Job had his life turned upside down by Satan and he murmured against God. He cursed the day he was born. He complained and was impatient. And some of us would say rightly so. And yet God describes him in James 5 as persevering. And so there are many others as well, and I could go on and on and on, but in all of these cases, God doesn't see their worst, and he doesn't even see their most minor sin. God sees them as righteous, and his view of us is the same. God sees Christ in us. God sees the work of the Holy Spirit in us. He looks past our faults. In fact, he is blinded to them because of the blood of Jesus on the cross. How good is that? Is that good? God sees us as holy and righteous. And we are called to do the same for others, to look past the faults of those around us and to look for the perfection of God's creation in them. What Kylie was saying this morning about those orphan children, how do we view them? Are we looking at how society labels them, or are we looking for the creation that God has made? If you are married here this morning, part of your role in cherishing your spouse is to remind them of who they are in God's eyes, that God sees them as holy, that God sees them as righteous. We are called to overlook. Overlook is a word that is used quite regularly in my house at the moment. Um, with my two older children, you know how siblings can be. I certainly know how I was when I was growing up with two older sisters. I had this ability to irritate and annoy to the point of almost breaking. And then you just let them sit there and simmer. I'm not so proud to say that Zeke and Abby May have obviously picked this trait up from myself. They have the ability to annoy and to irritate, despite loving each other very much. And so we say to them, overlook. There's even a little song, I'm not going to sing it, but the words are overlook, overlook. Overlook, don't be a sook. <laughs> it's a bit of fun, but there's actually a real challenge in that, isn't there? Not just for my kids, but also for me, and I'd, I'd also say probably for you this morning, to be, to be in that place of, of looking past annoyances, to, to look past faults, to look past appearance, and don't allow things to annoy or to make us upset. To overlook, to not be a sook. Instead, we should be looking for God's perfection in those around us. So Colossians 3.19 
It says, Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Men here this morning, if you are married, loving and cherishing your wife means never treating her harshly. Unmarried men, listen and learn because it will put you way ahead of the rest of us, I'm suspecting. Speaking harshly, or to put it another way, speaking in anger only brings about destruction and brings about brokenness. It's not always easy to speak from that place, but we should endeavour, we should strive to always choose love. In fact, I think this actually applies to all of us, so we could almost drop that husband part there and say that all of us should have the attitude of coming from a place of love rather than a place of harshness or anger and remembering the way that God loves us and then allowing that understanding of who we are in him to be shared with those around us. Harshness and anger is the opposite of cherishing. We need to be in that place of asking God to constantly remind us of the way that he sees us because so often we forget that. To remember who we are in God, remember that he cherishes us, that he doesn't see our faults, that he sees us as royalty, as righteous through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice on the cross. That's the place of love that we need to come from. Romans 8.1 There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the message, it says, you are no longer living under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. I really like that. It's a good analogy of what living in condemnation is all about. But if we're in this place of we're living our lives and we're not truly accepting the fact that, that it says there that there is no condemnation for those who live in Christ Jesus... If we, are, if we are living and not truly accepting that forgiveness, then we can't be in this place of truly loving or truly cherishing our spouses or, or those around us. And I read it, I read it put this way in the, in the Cherish book that, that Neil and I have been reading, and it says, to walk in condemnation, to live our life with that low-lying black cloud hanging overhead, to live with the thoughts of I'm a sinner or I'm not good enough for God or I'm not reading my Bible enough and I don't know it enough and I'm not good enough and I don't pray enough. To walk in that place, to walk in condemnation, is to call God a liar. That's a pretty confronting statement, isn't it? If we are in relationship with Christ Jesus and with God, if we have invited him into our lives, he is in us, and then we walk in this place of condemnation, not accepting that we are this holy and righteous as God views us. We are effectively calling God a liar. Or to put it another way, it is though we are standing at the base of the cross and Jesus is hanging there, hanging from nails, suffering, beaten, bleeding for you. And you look up and you say, no, Jesus, not good enough. Not good enough. Are you living in that place? Are you living with that dark cloud overhead? If you are, stop. You are cherished 
by God. You are seen as holy and righteous and he loves you. You are free from condemnation. If you're feeling like that this morning, I just really ask that you would come to the front after this message and and Neil and, and I and the other elders would love to pray with you to release you from that feeling of dark cloud hanging overhead, that feeling of condemnation because there is none and you need to be free from that. It's what God intends for us. It's what he always intended for us right from the very beginning. But then, of course, none of us is perfect. And it's important that we also remember that fact. None of us is perfect, whether it's in our marriages or whether it's in our family relationships or in our workplaces. Again, none of us is perfect. I think there must be something in that because I've now said that three times. So what is it that none of us is? Perfect. James 3.2. It says we all make mistakes. That's a relief. For a minute there I thought it was just me. We all make mistakes. We all stumble. For if we can control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in any other way. It's interesting that it points out that our tongues specifically stop us from being perfect. The fact that if we could actually control our tongues, that we would be perfect and we would be able to control ourselves in every other way. In Proverbs 18, 21, it says, Words kill and words give life. They are either poison or fruit. You choose. And another way it's written is that the tongue can bring death or life and those who love to talk will reap the consequences. The words that we, can, that we speak can either bring life or they can bring death. So what words are we speaking to each other here in church, in our connect groups, in our areas of influence that God has placed us in outside of this gathering? Are we showing those around us what a community that loves really looks like? How do we speak to people? How do we see the people around us? How do we listen to those around us? What words are we speaking to our spouses, our children, our friends and our work colleagues? Verbal communication is so powerful and can have such a huge impact And again, as it says in that Proverbs verse, our our tongue can bring death or our tongue can bring life. With such power, perhaps the best solution is to not use our mouths. James 1, 19 and 20 says, Understand this, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Note there that it says human anger. There is a legitimate type of anger, which is godly anger, but human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I love how God's word cuts and shapes. Every time I've read that passage this week, I have felt this immense challenge on my life. For me, I struggle to listen. My wife thinks I'm deaf at times. 
I get distracted. Sometimes at home or at work or wherever I might be, I completely phase out. Sometimes my kids will be standing next to me going, Dad, 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 Dad. Nope, nothing. Don't hear it. Alison, my wife, says, um, Zeke's trying to get your attention. Oh. And the results from not listening and not being ready to listen can bring about frustration and they can bring about destruction. As it says there, be quick to listen. Really listen. Slow to speak. If need be, close your mouth. Slow to get angry. Don't get angry because it doesn't produce what God is after. And as we read before, don't be harsh. Harshness and anger produce that brokenness that we're talking about. We are trying to be in this place of, of being a community that loves, which brings restoration from the brokenness, not adding to it. And again, remember, as we read in James 4, that we all make mistakes. We need to accept that. We need to learn from it and move forward. We need to remember that we are cherished by God and respond from that understanding. For me, I'm aware that I have issues with listening and, and I've been actively trying to do a better job. Even as recently as, as Friday night, uh, I realised that, that Alison, my wife, who I'm married to, um, she tried to tell me something and, I, well, I don't know if I listened. No, I didn't listen. I didn't listen. I'll be honest, I didn't listen. In fact, I completely ignored whatever it was she said. All I can remember is the first sentence. She said, oh, no, 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 nothing. And it was about probably an hour and a half later I thought, hmm, she said, da, 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 da. and I have no idea what the rest of the conversation was about. So I went and, and I apologised. And then we talked about it and she told me what it was and it was, it was great. Thanks, Ali, for telling me again. She came from a place of love and understanding. She could have come from a place of anger and because I wasn't listening again, but, you know. I made this conscious effort, and now I know what she said, because I was ready and I was willing to listen. So we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And in doing that, we also require patience. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, it says, Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. And be patient with everyone. Be patient with everyone. The lazy ones, the timid ones, the ones that are weak, the ones that annoy us, the ones that don't listen, even when we're talking right in their face. Everyone. We need to be patient with others. 
we also need to be patient with ourselves. Being patient with ourselves is just as important as being patient with others because, again, we know we all make mistakes. When we make mistakes, we need to be in that place of not beating ourselves up but being patient with ourselves, learning from those mistakes and moving on and remembering that we are cherished by God and move forward from that place. You know, there have been lots of things that we've heard about that we need to do this morning. And how do we do all those things? How do we control our tongues and how do we listen and how do we become slow to speak and slow to get angry and, and be patient even with the really annoying people that we have in our lives? It's not something that we can just switch on and become amazing at overnight, but it's something that we need to actively work on and pursue. We need to be almost, well, we do, we need to be training our brains and our spirits to respond to circumstances in a way that honours God and shows love to those around us. Our brains are these amazing things that, that can be trained to respond in particular ways, but it takes time and it takes effort. Playing music, for instance. I play guitar, I played this morning, and most of the time I'm pretty good, I think. <laughs> we all make mistakes. I made some this morning. I'll be honest. But there's always, there's always that room for improvement, isn't there? I must say I'm much better now than what I was when I first started out. When I first started playing the guitar, I sort of knew chords and music. I'd played music before and, and so I'd read the music and I would see the chord that I'd need to play and then I'd go, okay, now, this finger needs this string and this finger and this one and this one here. Oh, and I need a strum. Okay, success, yes. Meanwhile, the song is finished. Over time and with practice and with training, playing the guitar and changing chords has almost become, almost become automatic. My brain is trained to the point where I know, or my fingers know, what they need to do without me looking It's automatic. The same can be said for the way that we respond to people around us. Not that our responses are automatic or robotic, but that we train ourselves to be in that place and practice of, of, of coming with the right attitude, of responding in a way that honours God. And as we train that, that will become automatic. We need to train our brains to respond in love rather than in anger, to respond in ways that are constructive, that bring life and resurrection and restoration and resurrection through Jesus, rather than destruction that brings death and brokenness. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. What are the attributes in this reading that we can work on too? It starts by saying be humble, remembering the fact that we're no better than others and that we all make mistakes. It says be gentle, don't be harsh, don't come in anger. Watch your tone when you speak. 
Be patient. Don't expect perfection from yourself or from others because, again, we all make mistakes. Philippians 4.8 tells us to fix our thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable, to think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise, to look for things that are excellent and worthy of praise in those around us. As you think on these things, your brain is trained and rewired to respond in a way that honours and glorifies God. So use these verses that I've read, the Ephesians 4 verse. Oh, lost it. Where'd it go? Sorry. There it is. Yeah, so use, use the verses that I've used. There'll be a recording up on the website. You can go back and, and listen to it again. So don't, don't compare yourselves to other people. That's another key. We often find ourselves looking at others and saying, oh, gee, I wish I had my life together like they do. But instead, compare yourself to God's word and your identity in him. And as we focus on these things, as I said before, as our brains are trained and rewired, we will respond to God in an honouring and loving way almost automatically. We need to be continually remembering our own identity in God. We need to be remembering that we are cherished by God. That he has made us to be his sons and his daughters. As we remember that truth, we need to allow it to, to impact the way that we see those around us. And just like learning music or, or any other skill, training ourselves to respond in love takes effort. It takes sacrifice. It's intentional. It's purposeful. And I can guarantee we will all make mistakes and be clumsy at it. If you're going to cherish your spouse, you cannot be obsessed with yourself and making yourself happy. If you're going to really love those around us, you can't be obsessed with yourself and making yourself happy. We all need to get out of the way of ourselves and begin living for what God has for us and for others, not for ourselves. And what you do outside of this place, at your, at your work, at your school, at your uni, don't make it just about you. Don't just make it about your success. But instead, I challenge you to get lost in the, in the larger picture that God is, is putting together. God is creating this picture that's like a, like a jigsaw and each one of us has a piece that has to be plugged in. God has entrusted us with a piece of the puzzle that makes this larger whole, it makes a larger picture. And so if we're so wrapped up in ourselves and, and trying to do things in our own way, then we may miss the things that God has for us. We may miss the things that he has entrusted for us to do. What is the picture that God is forming and what part are you playing in that? And so we need to be in that place of constantly reminding and connecting into God 
so that we know who we are in him. It's more than just Sunday morning. It's more than just going to connect group. Ephesians 5.18, it says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Make music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we worship, as we worship together, as we spend time in the Word, as we worship God in our own ways, as, as Neil was talking about at the beginning of the service, asking us how we honour God and how we worship him, we are reminded again and again as we do that of the greatness of God. We are reminded again and again that we are cherished. And it is from this place that we are then able to go and cherish others, that we are able to go and love others. To be that community that loves that we are being challenged to be. Choose every day. This is a challenge for you for this week, a bit of homework. Choose every day to remind yourself of how kind and how good God is and also how cherished you are. Worship God. Receive the gospel, receive the good news into your life every single day. There is no dark cloud hanging overhead. You are holy, you are righteous. Claim that fact rather than effectively telling God he's a liar or telling Jesus as he's hanging on the cross, sorry, not good enough. And then once you're in that place, go out and live it. Work from that place. Love and share it. Share it in your marriages, in your families, here in church, in your connect groups, in your workplaces. Look for opportunities to share the love that God, <clears throat> the love that God has for you in your workplace, in your school, wherever, at the shops. Let's remind each other of God's love and that we are all cherished. It's another job we have to do to remind each other of who we are in him because sometimes we forget. Be mindful of how we speak to each other and others. Be in a place where you're ready to listen. We are slow to speak, even slower to get angry or speak harshly. But be in a place where you are ready to speak God's truth and his gentleness and his love. Be in a place of humility, remembering that you make mistakes, that no one is perfect. Have patience with everyone, including yourself. And as we do all of these things, we will continue to grow, to be that community that really loves. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you this morning that, that you cherish every one of us that is here. Lord, I really want to pray for our marriages in this church this morning. 
that our marriages would be strong in you, that our husbands and wives would, would cherish each other above all else but you. God, that you would strengthen these relationships, that, Lord, where there is struggle, you would bring freedom, that, Lord, where there is difficulty and hurt, you would bring peace and healing. God, that you would, you would give the ability to really listen and the ability to speak from that place of love and truth that we've talked about this morning. God, I pray for us as a, as a church family, God, that, that we would continue to grow this community of believers, that we would continue to grow as a community that really loves you. God, I pray that you would teach us how to do that better. God, I pray that you would train us as we're in your word on how to do that in a way that shines your light and your grace and your love, that shares the gospel message into the world that is around us. And Lord, I pray for our city, for every person in it, God, every person you cherish so much. God, I just pray this week that there would be opportunity for all of us as we go from this place to share the love that you have for us. Help us to remember and to claim the fact that you love and cherish us each and every day. Amen.